All right, well, what makes you happy? Well, according to, yes, according to uh, very good research, <laughs> I kind of wonder about that, but anyway, here are the, it takes six to seven hours a day of socializing in order to achieve the highest levels of happiness. People who have that are 12 times more likely to be uh, report feelings of uh, joyfulness. Uh, it also uh, takes regular contact with 10 or more friends in order to uh, be happy. Um, here's another one. The number of positive interactions for every negative, five to one. You have to have five positive to one negative because one negative is big. I mean, it, it blows you away. But you have to have five to one. Here's another one. You'll like this. It takes $75,000 a year to be happy. And uh, what they found is there's anything up to that. People always, they kind of need more. After that, it really doesn't increase their joy much. So 75000 folks, if you're there, amen. If you're not, well, you're still going to get happy pretty soon. Um, there are three ages when people are the happiest, 33, 55, and in their 70s. 33, because a lot of, have a lot of health. Um, in the 55, things are starting to look up. <laughs> in the 70s, um, they say often is the happiest time, interesting enough. The worst time, 44. That's what they found out. If you're 44, well, how many, anybody 44 in here? All right. We're going to pray for you. All right. I, that's, that's the worst time. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about what makes God happy. What makes God happy? Well, we've seen what makes us happy, or at least what this uh, survey says. What makes God happy? Some think that uh, when you go and you light candles and you chant, you make God happy. Others believe some religious garb, maybe a turban or something, will make God happy. But I will tell you from the authority of God's Word and from specifically from the passage we're in this morning, Luke chapter 15, we are going to find out what makes God happy. And what is it? It is when the lost are found. The Bible said it is the absolute joy of heaven. And if it's heaven's joy, it ought to be our joy as well. Now, all of us find uh, happiness in different ways. We all kind of find a little place that becomes our sweet spot, as some call it. But today we are going to study two stories, two parables, parables with power. The lost sheep and the lost coins. Actually, three stories in Luke 15, also the lost son. But uh, specifically, this morning, we're going to talk about the lost sheep and the lost um, coin, or as we've entitled this, a shepherd to lift us and a spirit to lead us. Let's all bow forward to prayer as we come to Luke 15. Father, we need you today. Thank you for the beautiful service, the sweet spirit. Thank you for the very touching special number. Lord, we love you, and we're so grateful to be in here, be with these precious saints. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 15, please. We'll go to verse number one. Now, this actually is a very convicting chapter, <laughs> especially when you sense, when you kind of put, you kind of think about what makes me happy and compare it with what makes God happy. I think we ought to get on the same page. Verse number one, first of all, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. 
Man, this was a rabble. This was the good, the bad, and the ugly, but they loved to hear Jesus. Verse number two, and the Pharisees and scribes were over there murmuring, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eats, even eats with them. Now, these uh, religious false teachers, now, that doesn't mean there weren't some godly Pharisees and some godly uh, scribes, especially. Scribes were the copyists of the law. Many of them were wonderful, godly people. But unfortunately, there were others who had gotten involved in this man-made religion, and they were just a terrible group, very, uh, very, uh, doing very wrong to the things of God. And as a result of that, they absolutely detested Jesus, and especially His connection with the, what they considered to be the lower class. But this so-called lower class just loved Jesus. They were getting their sins forgiven. They were getting so happy in the Lord. And uh, they were gathering around him. And it's one thing for uh, him to go to their house, but it says they were coming to his house in a sense. I mean, he was actually inviting them to come and eat. They were having supper. I mean, it was great. And so uh, all they wanted to do is murmur. You know, that word murmur is an interesting word. It actually doesn't have a translation. It's one of those strange words that sounds like the word. In other words, the definition is just murmur, murmur, grumble, grumble, murmur, murmur, murmur. It's they took the actual sound and made it into a word. And so there you go, murmur, murmur, grumble, grumble. That's what they were doing, murmur, murmur, grumble, grumble. This man receiveth sinners, murmur, murmur, grumble, grumble. This man receiveth sinners, and he even eats with them. Uh, You know, it's so easy to criticize, isn't it? Our president, late President Theodore Roosevelt said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Ah, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly. But these sinners came to Jesus. They wanted to hear him. They were so grateful to hear words of forgiveness. All they heard from these false teachers was just, they were just dumping on them. You got to do this, and you got to do that, and then you got to give this, and you got to be here, and you got to do that. I mean, every time they go, they just get dumped on. They felt terrible. Jesus was saying, God wants to forgive you, give you eternal life. He's got an abundant life for you. They were just rejoicing in that. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? And folks, that's, that's the point. We want all men to be saved, and we want everybody to come to a knowledge of the truth. I was thinking about this this week in light of how it is in America even today. It's so strange when you think about it that they were upset that Jesus was telling people how to get forgiven, how to be better, how to have great lives, how to have happiness. How crazy, how warped is it that people are upset that you're telling people how to have a good life? But you know what? Sadly, that's what we see in the public arena today, and we certainly see it in the public school system. It's a sad thing where today in America, a Christian nation founded that way, you can't teach the Bible. You certainly can't even talk about Christianity. Why? It's going to warp those children. It's going to terrorize them. It's going to hurt them. How crazy has it become? And here's what's even crazier. In many school districts, it is certainly allowed to teach Islam. And to make sure that these Islamic students can even leave class to go and pray. Isn't that crazy? But to tell you one thing, if a 
Christian student were to say, I want to go over here and pray in this classroom, they, would, they wouldn't get the time of day, but they have to make that. But that's the way this world has become, where we've become so warped, but it's nothing new. They were warped back then. But look at this amazing, profound outline, simple. The losing, the finding, and the celebrating. Verse number three, and he spake this parable unto them. Let's talk about, let me tell you a story, guys. So they're all ears now. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, that doesn't say uh, the word shepherd here, but it's obvious that's what he was talking about. And of all the legitimate uh, forms of labor, being a shepherd was basically at the bottom. And so uh, he was talking to them about maybe, I don't know, like being a, a septic tank cleaner or something. That's, you know, like this is, we're talking about something that's just a, a, a job that's not very desirable. And for Jesus to begin to look at them and said, I want to tell you a story about a shepherd. They're kind of looking at him askance thinking, what are you talking about? Because I'm no shepherd. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I would never do that kind of a job. And, and I think Jesus was uh, getting that way because notice what it says, verse four, what man of you? He said, you, you were a shepherd. Consider this story for a minute. You were shepherds, gentlemen. They're like, what? You're telling me I'm a shepherd? He said, I, I'm never be a shepherd. Now, why did they uh, not like being a shepherd? Well, shepherd, sheep were dirty animals like so many animals are, but sheep were just especially dirty to them. And it had become uh, a form of just an unclean animal. Now, let me just say this, not what God said. That's just what this false religion had come to the idea, that sheep were very dirty and they were unclean. And therefore, if you associated with them, basically you were unclean and pretty much have a hard time being okay with God if you were in this kind of a business. And so uh, Jesus said, now, I want you to consider you're a shepherd. Well, that already raised up their hackles. They didn't like that. I am no shepherd, I'm going to tell you right now. But not only a shepherd, you have a hundred sheep. <laughs> We're not talking about just being a normal shepherd. A normal shepherd would have, you know, a few sheep, maybe ten, but certainly not a hundred. That would be a very large number of sheep. You have to be a very rich person. You got to remember most of the society lived in little villages. When we were in, uh, visited in the South Pacific Island of Vanuatu, I got a whole different concept of Bible villages. I began to realize what a village is. And a village basically, for the most part, is just an extended family. And there was the, the big man as that uh, Bishlama language there. He's the, he's the chief. They call him big man. And uh, big man uh, would give you the right to come into the village. And we would uh, come to a little church there in the village. It's just basically a hut. And we would speak to the people. But it was an extended family. They were, in many cases, related. Um, and then there would be others. But uh, So they'd have maybe 60, 70. Many of the villages had 200 or 300. Very similar here. So one family would have 10 sheep. Another part of the family would have 10 sheep. And then they would all collect them together. They had homes, um, as it says here, verse number 6, when they cometh home. These weren't Bedouins that lived in the big black, uh, you know, uh, tents and, you know, would just travel all over the country like uh, uh, Middle Eastern gypsies or something. Now, these, these had homes. They were in little villages, 
And they had uh, maybe 100, 200, maybe even more. But so we're talking about a small place here. Now, they would have this large flock. It would take uh, maybe one person, maybe a second person, but they did not like to hire anybody to do their work for them. They wanted to make sure they, if they were going to be a shepherd, they would take care of themselves because they were the owners. And as Jesus said in John chapter 10, hirelings had a bad reputation. They come to steal and to destroy and to kill. Uh, They're not very good to just hire somebody to do that. They don't seem to have the same care. So we have somebody who is taking care, not only of his own sheep, but they would take turns. So one guy, maybe two, maybe three, would take these 100 sheep. They would go off into a nearby pasture land, and they would be given the responsibility by the rest of the village, you take care of these sheep. And uh, it might be even just one shepherd, and he would be there, and he would uh, make sure that he would uh, take care of these sheep. Now, there was a lot of duties to being a shepherd, but there was one overarching duty, and that was this, you don't lose a sheep. You don't do it. I mean, whatever else you do, hopefully they get fed, hopefully they get enough rest, hopefully you get them to the right place, but whatever else you do, you never lose a sheep. And if you do lose one, you need to make sure you go out and find it. And so that gives us the, the outline here. So first of all, it says here that they lost one. But verse two, um, now we have the finding. Verse number four, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? until he find it. And so um, these Pharisees were there. Jesus looked at them and he said, what man of you, if you were a shepherd, <laughs> I'm no shepherd. I would never be a shepherd. Well, let's just, uh, just think with me for a minute. If you were a shepherd, what would happen? Now you were going to go out there and take care of all these sheep. They were thinking sheep, a hundred sheep. No way. I don't even like sheep. But he said, all right, you need to go out and to find them. Find them. Now he's laying the land here and he was telling them, you need to make sure you find it. It says they, do, they leave the 90 and nine and they go after that which is lost until he find it. Until he find it. This was not an option. I mean, you, you were going to find that sheep. It made no difference. You're going to find that sheep. Now, sheep have some very unique and uh, sometimes not so good qualities. First of all, sheep are dumb. Now, most animals are dumb, actually, I would imagine, but uh, sheep are especially dumb. You've never seen basically a, a trained sheep. Now, you've seen trained horses. I just read this week about our military that trains uh, bottlenose dolphins to search out mines and also look for things that they've lost down at the bottom of the seabed. But uh, a trained sheep, no. Uh, you've seen trained dogs. I mean, man, some of those dogs are amazing. I heard about a man who was playing checkers with a dog out in front of a country store. The man would move, the dog would move, the man would move, the dog would move. Somebody said, man, that is a brilliant dog. The man said, ah, not really. I beat him two out of three games. And, uh, but anyway, uh, so you can train uh, animals, some animals, but you don't train sheep for sure. And what Jesus is saying here is that humans, the sheep, are basically dumb. And we know we're dumb, don't we? 
I mean, there's all kinds of things we do that we know is wrong and unhealthy and is destructive, and yet we do it anyway, and we wander away, and we're just like sheep. We're pretty much dumb. You'd say, well, now, Pastor, I really take exception to that. I'm a very educated person. I'm very smart. My IQ is way up there. It's at least 98 or something like that, and a very, very educated, very smart person. Well, uh, I would say this. If you, uh, the only way you can really be smart is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you don't know the Lord, if you're an atheist especially, the Bible classifies you as a fool. You'd say, well, man, I don't know about that. That just sounds kind of harsh. I read a, a neat uh, thing that Laura Schlesinger said this week. She's a Jewish uh, um, writer and uh, commentator, and uh, she told the story about a Jewish rabbi who was speaking, or excuse me, who was sitting next to an atheist on the airplane. Every few minutes, one of the rabbi's children or grandchildren would come inquire about his needs. Do you need food? Do you need drink? Are you comfortable? Is everything all right? Dad, everything all right, Papa? The atheist commented to the rabbi, man, the respect your children and grandchildren show you is amazing, wonderful. Man, my children don't show me that respect. My grandchildren don't even care. And the rabbi looked at the man and said, think about it for a moment. To my children and grandchildren, I am one step closer than them to a chain of tradition in time when God spoke to the whole Jewish people on Mount Sinai. To your children and grandchildren, <laughs> you're just one step closer to being an ape. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that is really true. If you're an atheist and yeah, I just came from an ape, well, no wonder they treat you like an animal. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are also defenseless. They can't defend themselves. Horses can run away. Cats can scratch. Bears can claw and chew people up. What can a sheep do? Humans think we're so strong. In fact, we're immortal. But the truth is, we are truly defenseless. I mean, I've never gone to any houses. We've visited hundreds of houses out in the countryside. I've never ever seen a sign that said, beware of sheep, <laughs> ever. They are defenseless. Not only are they dumb and defenseless, but number three, they are dependent. I mean, if a sheep ever fall over on their back, they're done. You get them wet, they can't get up at all. I mean, they're just like this big old wet fluff ball. You can't get up. They lay there, their feet just kicking around in the air, and uh, they just become like a, a big old lamb chop for the predators. And, um, they're just, and they, they have to uh, get plenty of uh, liquid or they dehydrate. I mean, uh, sheep, they're just in bad shape. And if the elements don't get them, a coyote will get them. If a coyote doesn't get them, some kind of... A uh, bird of prey will come at them. I mean, they are defenseless. They are dumb, and they are dependent. You know, the only hope for a sheep is to stay in the herd and stay close to the shepherd. By the way, that's a pretty good idea for us, isn't it? Stay in the herd and make sure we stay close to the shepherd. We have the losing, and then we have the finding, thank God. Number three, notice the celebrating. When he hath found it, he layeth it. That is the sheep on his shoulders rejoicing. When, notice the word when, when he found it. Because if is not an option. You're going to find that sheep. But you don't come home. Remember now, it's not only just your sheep, and these are your living, but you probably are taking care of other sheep. You are going to find that sheep. I mean, you're not going to come back to the village and say, at eh, lost a sheep. They're <laughs> like, no, you go back out there and get that sheep. No, it says when he hath found it. When he comes back. Now, these sheep are not light 
animals. I mean, uh, certainly not as heavy as some animals, but I mean, uh, a full-grown one, 75, 100 pounds. And the Bible says when they have found them, they'd bring them back. Now, where they would bring them back, typically, maybe you've seen little pictures. I uh, found one picture. Do you have that there? There is a typical way that they would do that. They would take that sheep, they would put it around their neck, put their belly on their back of their neck. They would take two legs on this side and two legs on this side. They would wrap them up with, um, with some twine there. And uh, they, uh, they're heavy. I mean, this is not an easy thing to do. Now, notice what it says. It says, when they found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. Honestly, when I read that verse, I was thinking how different it would be for me. If a ship, if a ship, if a sheep went out there and ran away from the herd, when I found that sheep, I would shoot the thing and, uh, or beat it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be rejoicing. I'm going to be mad, but thank God I'm not the shepherd. And, uh, but anyway, I mean, folks, these sheep are heavy. They are stinky. I don't want a sheep around my neck. I don't even want to touch those things. We had some big dogs in our life, and man, when it rained, ooh, my, they, already, they already stunk, but when it rained, forget it. You know, I mean, they're just big old stinky things. But imagine a big old sheep, and there they were. But they're rejoicing. Why? Because they love their sheep? No, well, they probably do, but mainly because that sheep means money. And we're talking uh, their wool, they can sell, it also uh, provides for them many other ways. So uh, it's food. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a very valuable thing, valuable to the shepherd. Verse number six, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, this is not, this has been a terribly rugged, demanding journey, bearing the full weight of the sheep, but they're finally home. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees knew this story. This story happened. It didn't happen a lot, but it happened. They could see it. Jesus was spinning this parable for them. They'd been there. They'd been in villages. They'd seen the happiness of a sheep returning back. They'd seen the shepherd coming back in. It was a time of excitement. Now, when the shepherds were out with the sheep, Everybody in the village was basically going about their daily work. The old men were in the center of the city. They'd be telling their stories. The ladies would be perhaps uh, sewing or doing the different things they do, the, getting the food ready. And, uh, but all of them were basically wanting to make sure that the shepherd who was in charge came back, and they came back with every one of the sheep. And if they found out that one of them had been lost and been found, they're going to have exciting too. This is going to be great. This is going to be such a good time. And so when they found out that the sheep was found, they'd all break out into cheering. All the old men would be happy. All the ladies would start cheering. This was a great time, a wonderful time. Now Jesus is uh, going to get uh, very personal. He's going to begin to look at them eyeball to eyeball, and he's going to give them the application now. He's already told them the story. And these guys, you'd think they'd be smart enough to know he's about ready to lower the boom on them. But uh, here he goes. Verse 7, here's where the rubber meets the road. I say unto you. Now, to this point, this has just been a story. Now, gentlemen, I say to you. I remember years ago, Brother 
David mentioned about Murray Drive. I was, uh, was on, over on Murray Drive. We had a, a family came and a beautiful family. Uh, but the husband's kind of used to a high church, kind of a real formal church. And, but his wife, boy, she loved the church. She was so excited about everything. And uh, one day she said, Pastor, I don't know, this is really rough because my husband doesn't like to come. And um, I said, well, why not? She said, well, because you say you. I said, what? Well, you say you all the time. And she said, you preaching, you'd say, you, 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 you preach to us and you say you need to do this and God wants you to do this. And, and then you even speak to God like he's, you can just talk to God. She said, my husband came from a, a tradition where you can't talk like that. You have to always say we. We worship thou, the great God of heaven. And you have to say we. And I thought, I've always remembered that thought. How unbelievable that, a, a, what is that, a preposition would be the thing. that, Of course, it really wasn't that. But notice verse 7. I say unto you. And he was laying it on the line. Gentlemen, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, you're not going to miss this story, are you, gentlemen? You're not going to overlook the theme here. This story is about the joy of God when sinners are found and sinners are saved. Now, here's the point, gentlemen. You, now think about this, sinners are getting saved. Publicans and sinners and everybody's getting saved and they're getting their lives transformed. Everybody else is happy. But what are you doing? You're all grumble, grumble, mumble, mumble, grumble, grumble, mumble, mumble, grumble, grumble, mumble, mumble. You're upset because these sinners are getting saved. What is wrong with you guys? And that's what he was saying. And these guys, by the way, didn't miss it. They knew what he was saying. And if they had read the Old Testament, which scribes, of course, were copyists of it, they would read things like in Ezekiel and other prophets that says, you are, you are uh, shepherds that are dishonest shepherds and you are bad shepherds. These people have been looking for hope. And you are the leaders. You are the shepherds of Israel. And you're not doing your job. You have been more interested in what you wear. You've been more interested in your positions. You were more interested in what's this going on and this going on. And all the while, these people are like sheep that have no shepherd. You remember what Jesus did? He wept over Jerusalem saying, look at these sheep. They have no shepherds. They would have thought they were shepherds. The fact is they were hopeless and had no buddy to care for them. They had no church like the home church that would reach out and do everything we can to say, come in and have your burdens lifted and have strong homes and better marriages and better lives. They had no gospel preaching church like the home church. And the sad reality is that these leaders were missing the boat. Jesus came, it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I was thinking about these parables as we've been going through them, and I thought about how many of them talk about the theme of getting saved and preaching to the same people as I do often. Sometimes that theme might get a little old, but remember this, Jesus kept talking about this theme. He must have a reason behind it. And I think many times we don't get all the nuances and all the 
all the, the real ideas behind what salvation is going on. And God's here trying to remind us how important it is just to remember the main thing. The main thing is that sinners get saved and that lives get changed and transformed so that they can be of use for God. And thank God for the Christian faith. Thank God for what he's talking about here. Have you ever thought about the way most religion is and all the other religions other than Christianity? The Bible, these people teach that the sheep are trying to get to the shepherd. But in this story, it's the shepherd who's going after the sheep. And one day when we get to heaven, friends, you and I aren't going to walk into heaven trotting in there like a proud little white sheep. No, we're going to be carried into heaven right on the shoulders of our shepherd. And that's what it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse number six, all we like sheep have gone astray. But look at the last part, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of it all. He bears it all. The shepherd takes care of us. It is of grace. All the sheep can do is acknowledge their helplessness. It's the shepherd that does the seeking. It's the shepherd that does the finding. It is the shepherd that does the lifting. It is the shepherd that does the carrying. You know, we love our Christian faith. And there are many uh, symbols that the Christian faith has. We have the sign of a fish, which is a beautiful reminder, perhaps, of the uh, early disciples, maybe of a symbol of Christianity. We also have the cross. And a lady will wear a beautiful cross or will have a cross a pin or something like that. We love the cross. But did you know that actually one of the greatest symbols of Christianity, and actually when you go to the Middle East, especially into Israel, if you go to any of the shops there, do you know what you find when you see the picture of Jesus? It is not the cross. It is not a symbol of a fish. But the most often symbol is that of a shepherd with a sheep on his shoulders. And that is actually one of the greatest symbols of Christianity because, my friend, this big old sheep, this old dirty sheep had no way of getting back had it not been for the shepherd. And look what it says in verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. One sinner. And notice the last part. Now, uh, he's going to get a little sarcastic here, and he's going to begin to troll them a little. Over 90 and 9 just persons which need no repentance. Now, who is it among us that needs no repentance? Is there anybody? No. Everybody needs to repent. And by the way, they have to repent. If you are of that Calvinistic persuasion, and you have the idea that the shepherd just goes out there, grabs a sheep, puts it on his shoulder, takes them to heaven, regardless of what the sheep wants. He says right here, the sheep has to repent. The sheep has to repent. You have to, you have to repent and say, God, save me. I need you. The sheep has to just let the shepherd. He's not going to just grab the shepherd. In fact, they say that when a sheep falls down, the sweetest grass, maybe they're out there and they fall down some little, uh, little cliff area and then they, they're down there and they're, you know, they're crying and wanting up. If the shepherd goes down immediately, they're going to be too skittish and they're going to be too strong. They have to wait, wait till they're at the bottom and then they will repent. They will let the shepherd pick them up. 
And Jesus said, now I know that I've been spending time with the publicans and the sinners. I know I've been preaching to them. I know that they are getting saved. And I know basically they are the castoffs of our society. And they're not like you. You men, you false teachers, you shepherds who are supposed to be doing your job. Not like you guys, because of course you don't need repentance. Oh no. I mean, God forbid that you would ever say, I'm done wrong. I'm a lost sinner. And here he was. He was telling them that they should be the kind of a shepherd that admits their own sin and to come. It's an interesting thing here that 1% gets saved. Only 1%. Um, the, the, the shepherd, there's a 99 just persons. One gets saved. I thought about my uh, thought over the years, you know, how many people really get saved? You know, they talk about the 1%, the rich, you know, the one percenters. I'm talking about the one percenters who really get spiritually rich, who truly repent of their sins, who truly let the shepherd. So many sheep are trying to crawl into heaven on their own. Look at my wool. Look at my wool. I'm so good. I'm so handsome, you're going to let me in, right? And the shepherd, no, you got to be carried in. And I want you to notice one more thing here. It says there is joy in heaven. What makes God happy? God is happy when sinners get saved. God is happy when we admit our sins and we allow him to save us. A shepherd to lift us. Thank God. But not only is there a shepherd to lift us, thank God there is a spirit to lead us. Verse number eight, Now he switches to a woman in the story. First of all, he says, you guys are like shepherds. (laughs) No, don't be telling me that. Now, before they can react, he says, okay, either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she leaves one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek. Now, these guys were getting so frustrated. First, he calls them a shepherd. Now he calls them a woman. You bunch of women? No, that's not, that wasn't being critical as the women were bad. It's just that in their society, in that um, type of society, they just, they did not, they thought that was kind of a lower class thing. And so uh, here she was, she was a woman, and this woman had a big problem. She had some money, not a lot, but what she did have, she lost a, a good bit of it. Now, they didn't really have a lot of need for money back then. A lot of the the things they would do was a bartering society. They really didn't have the kind of thoughts we had. They didn't have investments and things like that, although there were many principles the same. But uh, so they really didn't have a, a lot of uh, money. But I want you to notice what little money she had. Number one in our outline, she lost it. Verse number eight, what woman having 10 pieces of silver, she loses one piece. I want you to picture this little village now. It's dusty in that Judean land, not much uh, not much um, rain, four walls, little short doorway, small little windows to let in some air, let out the cooking smoke. Floors are made of hardened dirt. They're all cracked, dusty. It was dark in there largely. And so it's not like it had a bright light. It wasn't like we would see in our homes. And she had, a, uh, she had 10 pieces of silver. Uh, they estimate about four grams. Now, the Greeks called these drachma. The Romans called them denarius. Oftentimes, in some form of like almost like a little purse, a woman would take a little cloth, put these in there, tie it up, 
She would then like uh, tie it to her waist, even around her neck. Another possibility was not that it was in a purse, but it was actually sort of like a necklace around her neck. And that is, for most commentaries, what's being thought of here, and actually given as a dowry from her husband, even as well as from her father. And they would wear it because it was their social security. I mean, uh, they would keep it close. And if you've ever traveled in a foreign country, you know what you're talking about. You keep your money close, don't you? When you go through any kind of checkout or wherever you go, you keep that money in your hand. Don't put it in your purse. You don't put it in your, you hold it in your hand or you put it on a money belt because you know, I mean, the people are there just sneaky. And so she kept her money around her neck, this dowry, her social security there. You'd say, well, man, it's just one coin. What's the big deal? Folks, we're talking about losing 10% of her future income. If her husband was to die or somehow uh, tough times, we're talking about a big deal. And so then we have point number two, the finding. So she lights a lamp, sweeps the house carefully, carefully. I mean, she goes everywhere. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This woman knows how to look for a coin. Now, if this story had been for a man, the men wouldn't believe it. The Pharisees wouldn't believe it. If Jesus had said, the man looked for the coin, everybody would say, yeah, we know how men look for things. And you know, like when your husband says, I, I can't find it. And you're like, oh, looky here. It's just right here next to your chair. It was under your newspaper the whole time. Who would have thought? And uh, my wife, when she looks for something, she finds it. When I look for something, I look for, for about 15 seconds, then I get irritated. Where is it? And I used to be able to say, what kid in here took it? And now I say, what grandkid messed with my stuff? And uh, Pauline says, honey, they haven't been here for a week. Oh, okay, then I don't know where it is. But anyway, but I'll tell you one thing. Thank God he said the woman looked for the coin. Because if he had said a man was looking for the coin, wouldn't have found it. And so this woman looks for the coin. She takes a little clay lamp, puts a little oil in there. She then puts a wick in there. She lights it. She starts looking around. She's looking everywhere. She's lifting things up. She's looking in the cracks. Here she is crawling around on her hands and knees in the dirt. And there's cracks everywhere. I mean, she is looking for that coin. And then, thank God, she finds it. Verse 9. And now we have the celebrating. And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace that I had lost. The word friends there is the Greek word philos, which is the common word for friendship. But uh, Greek grammarians say that's actually in the feminine format. So I actually called her lady friends. Most of those villages, the women kind of hung out together during the day and the men kind of hung out together in the day. And so it says here, uh, she called her friends. Now, one person's uh, hurt was everybody's suffering. And uh, so they were, all so they were all suffering with her, and now they're all happy with her. All right, it's a great story. Everybody's happy. The coin has been found. Now, verse 10, now the application, likewise. Love that word, likewise. He's connecting the dots here. I say unto you, he gets personal. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now, this little phrase, I say unto you, is very emphatic. It, he is like 
putting the power behind those words. He's looking at him saying, I say unto you, joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Now, notice, gentlemen, the very people that you won't associate with, the very people you don't have time for, the very people you're more interested in your titles or in what religious garb you wear, the, the very people that you don't care about are the people that makes God happy. Now, I want you to notice where the joy is. It says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. There is joy in the presence of God. Now, we know uh, it says in the presence of the angels. Now, in this story, the angels are the lady friends. They're the ones who are excited for God. The God is the one who is the happy one here. I mean, to tell you folks, God is doing his happy dance right here. He is so happy. And everybody else gets happy because he gets happy. He is so excited. God is that woman. God looks in the dirty parts of this world. And God looks in the dark and the dirt. And God is looking for sinners. He takes God, the Holy Spirit, takes the blessed word of God, the broom, this woman probably took a lamp, and she probably took one of those one-handled little brooms. Everywhere you go all over the world, we're the only country that has that kind of broom. You just kind of go like this, you know. Every place we've ever been, they have one, they have this little broom. They all kind of bend over and go like that. I'm thinking, why, what kind of a crazy broom is that? Kind of like chopsticks, you know. Why eat that? Man, I can't, I can't even get enough food to get me a big old giant spoon. But uh, the, so here she was. She was, she had a lamp. She had the Word of God. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And she took the, the brushing of the Bible. She took the conviction of God, and she was sweeping away. And I tell you what, many a time in our heart, we begin to feel that God is beginning to brush away the dirt. He's beginning to expose things that I don't like exposed, but I need to have exposed so that the light of God's Word can break into my soul, and the gospel can get inside of me and change me by the blessed Word of God. And that's what he is doing here. God is the shepherd. God is the woman, a shepherd to lift us, and thank God, a spirit to lead us. And as we'll see the next time, thank God, a son that has been found. Someone said, the Father thought it, the Son brought it, the Holy Spirit wrought it, and glory to God, I've got it. And that's what happens here in this story. Thank God for a shepherd who lifts us and for a spirit that leads us. I close with a little story I read this week. It actually comes from the Middle East. Someone copied a story from a Middle Eastern newspaper. Put it online and I thought, man, this is a great ending to this story. In this particular Middle Eastern semi-rural area, they told the story of a shepherd who had finished his work for the day and taken his sheep into an enclosed area, just gotten to sleep when he heard a commotion. It was an awful squall. Ran over to where it was coming from only to see a wolf 
dragging one of his sheep through a hole in the wall. He ran over there, started beating on that wolf, and the wolf turned and attacked the shepherd, just ripping into him. Finally, after everything settled down, the wolf ran off. The shepherd was bloodied. In fact, so much so that he just collapsed into a heap next to that injured sheep. He tended as best he could to the sheep and then lay down next to the sheep. However, unfortunately, the next morning the shepherd was found dead and his body was literally draped over the sheep. But the interesting part of the story is the headline in the local newspaper. Here's what it was. Sheep alive, covered in the shepherd's blood. And my friend, 2,000 years ago, there was a shepherd who gave his life for this sheep. And that shepherd is covered in the blood. And I'm here to say that by God's grace, hallelujah, we have a shepherd that lifts us. And thank God the Spirit to lead us. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for a moment.